This awesome podcast is now approved by Spotify. I'm going to make software for the woodworking industry. It's so not sexy at all, but very big and real for so many companies. We make a lot more money. We even make more Go be uncomfortable. Get in a situation that people hate. That's where the really good ideas are. I'm Brady Lewis. I'm the founder and current CEO of All Moxie. And what we have done is over the last 10 years, we've built a small, I wouldn't call it small, we've built an ERP system primarily for the woodworking industry. It has ERP functions and also marketplace functions. Basically, our mission is just to streamline the whole supply chain start to finish within the woodworking industry. How did you get into this? So I grew up in a cabinet shop. My dad took the leap of faith, quit his job and started up a cabinet shop when I was very young. I grew up in the sawdust and trying to help him out with his business. And when I got to the point where I was running his company, years later, I realized that I needed software and could not find anything that would work for me. I naively just started building it myself. And here we are 10 years later. Did you go to college there? And um, actually, where are you located? We didn't, we didn't talk about that. Yeah, so I, we're in, uh, Almoxie has its offices in Ogden, Utah. And I went, I did a little bit of school at Utah State University in Logan, Utah. Didn't spend much time at college at all. And in fact, I don't code. So I'm not the developer. I'm kind of the person in between the developer and the sawdust. So I understand the woodworking environment and what those companies and owners look for. And I I, I architect and build what they need, but I don't code. So did your dad just make cabinets and then y'all would sell them? Can you explain a little bit for what you were doing right before you got there and what you were doing before? I guess you made this software. Yeah, sure. So technically it's a it's an outsourced manufacturer is what he is. Not your typical cabinet shop where you, you know, go up to the showroom and pick out your cabinets and they come and install. My dad had the foresight to kind of go after the, those people are his customers. So he builds components for cabinet shops. So he's sort of like an OEM. So he just does all the doors, the boxes, all the parts for all of these shops that just outsource the manufacturing to him. That way he doesn't have to deal with the homeowner. So it's more of an assembly line, more of just a manufacturing focused business. Like if I went to Lowe's, for instance, and wanted to buy cabinets to do myself, like the one who does those? Yeah. So you would be buying them from a cabinet shop. Right. And that cabinet shop would be buying them from a company like my dad's. Yeah. Okay. And what's OEM stand for? Oh, good question. (laughs) I understand it as it's a term that everyone uses for like, they're the original manufacturer. And I don't know exactly. Original something Something manufacturer. Okay. I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense because I've heard of OEM parts before from like for cars. And that, actually, that makes sense because you know, whenever going to the dealer, they always want you to say OEM parts, which are the dealer's parts versus quote unquote knockoffs that are half the price. So. Yeah, exactly. Like like you're buying an Apple computer, but it's full of parts from other OEM manufacturers, right? right. So like the, the chips are, you know, Asus is an OEM. 
So exactly what that acronym is, I can't remember, but that's the idea. Oh, we got two of the three letters. Good. <laughs> what was your dad doing in like sales and how many employees were there, you know, before you started implementing this software and like, what is it like today? So when I came to work with my dad, just when I started, there was probably, I don't know, 10 of us, all shop floor employees, a couple office staff. Then when I started working on the software, maybe 15 to 20 of us, three or four office staff. After implementing our software, jump, jump towards today. So today there are only five office staff still, but a hundred employees in the shop. So it's hard to kind of put in perspective, but in the industry, in my industry, it would be more typical to have at a hundred employees in the shop, probably 30 to 40, eh, 20 to 25, maybe uh, office staff. So my software allows companies to really automate a lot of those mundane office tasks that are just part of our industry. Basically at first you were just using this in your dad's shop and now you actually sell that software to other cabinet manufacturers? Yeah. Yeah. So the first time we built it, it was just, I just needed to solve our immediate problem. We basically hard coded it just for our need. And then it started really working really fast. And a lot of our customers started asking, you know, what is going on? What are you using? How can I get something like that? We even had a competitor offer money for it and wanted to buy it outright. So it was kind of at that point where we're like, okay, look, we've got another opportunity here in software. This is a real need, not just for us, but for everyone out there. So we started all Moxie and rewrote it to not be hard coded. And uh, that's kind of how it all began. And can you give us more details on that? When was the breaking point where you realized you wanted or needed to make the software? And what, what was step one, step two, step three? Great question. Yeah. So I mean, step one was me going from the shop floor, you know, just eating sawdust, packing boards around all day long to having an interest in the office. I mean, I, I think I think this is a step that gets overlooked a lot, especially in, you know, like manufacturing type environments is we spend all this time and money on the floor, you know, looking at machines, looking at efficiencies. But the reality is there's the data is what feeds all these things. So I recognized early on that as quick as we can get out cabinets and doors, the data coming in is very important. So I, I went into the office kind of with this excitement to tackle that problem. I guess step 1A was we had an Excel sheet that was basically running the shop and learning Excel, becoming, <laughs> I guess, acquiring the ability to write formulas that were, you know, five pages long that did all this stuff. That was kind of the first step. And I realized the ideas keep coming and the things you want to accomplish with software, you know, just kept coming. And I, I quickly realized, well, you know, Excel, we're going to top out with, with this. So I quickly moved it to Access Database. And again, this is just, I mean, I grew up in a farm community and in a cabinet shop. So like, this is just this kid without any education kind of solving problems best he knew how, right? And that was with Excel, then Access. And then after Access kind of opened my mind as to like network capabilities, I started thinking, well, you know, and, and this was about, this was about the time that pretty much everyone started using, pretty much everyone was like on Hotmail or whatever. And pretty much everyone was starting to use web apps. And I kind of put it together at that point. Okay, we have we have access over here doing all these cool things, but what if it were on the web? And what if we take all of this stuff and put it on the web? Like, and the, you know, we didn't have the word the terminology cloud, but this idea of the cloud back then just really blew my mind, and I just couldn't get there fast enough. So at that point, I actually did hire a web developer to help me get all of that to the web because I I could figure out Excel access just fine by myself, but I didn't know any coding. I didn't have any languages under my belt. 
belt, so I didn't I didn't feel comfortable building it. What year was that? What year did you start it? And what year did you go work in your dad's shop? And then you're using Excel. And what point did you do Access? And at what point or what year did you switch to the web? <laughs> this is a good question. I actually got called out on this just the other day. Someone was like, I swear you told me a different date the other day. <laughs> and I think they're right. I think <laughs> I probably need to go back and get my story straight. So having said that, I think it was about 2007 when we actually, that was probably, probably 2006, 2007 was like the Excel era. And then, or maybe probably five and six was Excel. Probably six and seven was Access. And then I think eight was when we made, we actually made the move to to web-based. Well, so it's still pretty quick, it seems like, to jump from one versus the others. If you're going from Excel and doing all those formulas to jumping into Access and two years later doing web, it didn't seem like it was too slow. Yeah, it went very quickly. I mean, it, it, the software just couldn't keep up with kind of what I what I saw it doing and what I wanted to do with it. And so it very quickly went from one thing to another. So were the web-based ones, were those like SharePoint lists or is it something um, totally different using different database? Them? It was a MySQL database mm-hmm. and yeah, it was just, it was a it was a homegrown custom built MySQL web-based. Could you walk us through the differences? I mean, was it an issue when you were telling your dad, hey, I want to try using Access? I imagine after Access, did that help you expand the company, I assume? And then, so I'm sure the web-based thing was a little bit of a year sell, but can you tell us what the differences were? There was this constant struggle between me and my dad. My dad's an old school, you know, cabinet hard-nosed guy, worked at a steel mill. So, you know, and he taught us to work, you know, everything was work, work, work. The harder you're sweating, the more money you're making. So it was a little bit difficult for him to wrap his head around this thing that I wanted to sit in the office and create, you know, just sitting on my butt. And that sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth right now, but that was and is the reality for a lot of people, (laughs) especially in his generation. So it was always really hard to convince him that this is even necessary or important. And we, we had a lot of arguments and discussions about what I should even, if I should even be spending time on this. I tried to do my best at getting value, showing him, look, I improved. I spent eight hours yesterday on this and the Excel sheet. It now does this. That will save us X amount of hours next week. So I tried to do a good job through the whole process of showing him, look, this is actually affecting your day, my day, how much we can actually sweat. Because if we're doing this, we can go out in the shop and sweat, bust our balls and make money. So it went it went not without trial through all those three, but it was a fight. But I, I feel like I was able to kind of show him and, and credit to my dad. He gave me a lot of credit. Even though he argued me, he ultimately let me do it. And he ultimately trusted in me and actually threw money at it. And, you know, he's, his actions spoke very loudly. Is that the question you answered? I kind of maybe went off on a tangent. No, no, no you, you did that perfectly. But yeah, I mean, it, just the implementation, because going from Excel to Access and you did it all yourself, it sounded like that's a big hurdle in a, of itself. So what were the differences? Oh, yeah. I mean, I it was a lot of late nights. I mean, yeah. I, I did this after hours. You know, I didn't want my dad to have to, I mean, half the arguments I knew I could save by just doing it covertly at night or whatever. So I did that a lot. Um, you know, it didn't really transfer per se. You can't just copy paste things back and forth. It's kind of a different platform. So it just kind of had to be rebuilt. But the concepts behind it, you know, how you figure out this, how you figure out that. I feel like the Excel sheets going through the activity of how do I come up with this number in Excel made the other steps easier, if that makes sense. No, it does. And then uh, really, honestly, the reason your story resonates 
a lot with uh, at my company, I basically was doing the same type of thing. I just had an Excel list of people that I would want to call on and real estate owners. And then actually I went and figured out how to do Microsoft Access and then did that myself, made my own program and kind of play around with it because at the same time I had to go make sales. But I'm like, if I can do it this way, it's going to make it life easier. And then brought a developer in and helped me out with more of the Microsoft Access and then used like a SharePoint list where I had virtual assistants plugging in information. So it's just being able to understand that that one Excel list was not going to work forever. I mean, I was topping out. I can only put, put in so much information. I'm getting duplicate information. And then once you realize like what a database is on like the power it holds, I think it, it's a game. Changer. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a perfect story. It's very, very similar. So yeah, you you understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> then so eventually I'd have to get developer from like Upwork. Maybe you can talk about the changes that you made. It's because basically I wanted to link multiple owners to one property. So I, the way I built form is that way. And then I'd, I'd add in more details and details and details. So I try not to overcomplicate it because I think that's what happens a lot eventually. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just trying to keep it. everything's a database really at the end of the day when you start looking at them. I mean, even like yeah. iTunes, for example, is not really just a music player. It's a database with, with the play count on there, but it just happens to be on your actual computer. So once you figure that out, I, I remember it was just like a light bulb moment for me because I was in real estate the whole time. I never even thought about what the hell is a database. I heard about access, but I'm like, oh, okay, this is how things interconnect. Right. Yeah, that's me too. I, I had no idea. I don't, I didn't have any, any intention to be in the software business. I just, all I knew is I needed to solve a problem and I would literally just get on the computer and say, okay, here's the tools in front of me. And luckily I had Excel and access. I had the Microsoft suite sitting there and I thought I can leverage this, you know? So it was just, that's the only reason that I even used those is because they were sitting there on my computer. But what was your database doing like comparatively to the Excel sheet? Was it just like, hey, you're keeping cabinet information in each one of these. So every day you'd have to print it off or what? What was the leaps and bounds that helped that company? The cool thing, the reason that I went from Excel to the database, what I started, what I realized there is, I mean, the, the Excel sheet was a good way to keep information straight and do calculations. But what I wanted to do next is I wanted to create workflows. I wanted to be able to give a guy a button that he'd, he could just push and it would do 10 things. That's what I really needed. And so that's what I feel like access gave us is that ability to create a button and that button would do these 10 things, move this data there and voila. And also, you know, get it just off this computer. I don't want it just to be a file on one computer. I want to have this database accessible in the shop. And it's kind of an archaic thing to think about now with everything web-based and cloud-based. But back then it was pretty, pretty, I don't know, kind of cutting edge for us at least <laughs> to be able to have all these buttons on the shop floor. Can you give us a harder example? What like 10 things would it do versus what you did before? Because I, I just want to understand the building of your company and how you were getting enlightened moments while you're building. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and it's one I haven't thought about in a very long time. So I might struggle to come up with 10. But off the top of my head, a few things I can remember, like we had the guy in the supply bay, for example, when Wood showed up, he had a little, a little input box that he could say what Wood it is, how much showed up, and he could hit the button and it would check it in to inventory, you know, so we knew. So then at the front office, I knew exactly how much wood we had out there. We could, you know, click another button that would print out a remake sheet. So if we had like a problem with one of the doors coming through the shop and say this, this door is, you know, got something that needs to be remade on it, we could put the job number in, hit go, and it would print out, you know, the necessary sheets that I could then take back up to get the thing remade. Just little things like that, that 
Excel couldn't handle. I mean, if I had to oversimplify it, maybe it would be, it would, I would just say I was able to create buttons that accessed information and sent it out in a different way. And oh, we did things like time tracking. So we started, we started tracking people's time, clocking in and out, not having to use the old time card stamps anymore, things like that. I want to bore everyone. I've always been curious on what the differences were and when you made that leap and bounce. So let's go ahead and just talk about making the software and then selling it. And did you make it underneath another LLC? How did you know how much to charge? Tell us more. Yeah. So when we went from Access and hired our first developer, like I said, we hired it and we just did it to solve our own company's problem. You want me probably to go beyond that, right? When we started actually... Whatever you think would be most helpful to entrepreneurs who are listening, if you're looking back, like anything that would be most helpful to them. Yeah. And here's maybe a key point that I'd like to make. Speaking of helping younger entrepreneurs right off the bat is I didn't go into this thinking I'm going to make software for the woodworking industry. I mean, who would really like it's so not sexy at all. And but what I did do is I had a clear problem to solve and it was very unsexy, but very big and real for so many companies. And I got that idea by just being in the sawdust, you know, so I think a lot of like probably the next generation has this <laughs> this ability to kind of avert the the difficult the the manual labor type stuff they want to just come up with the next big thing and sit at their desk all day but i really think that getting dirty getting in some unglamorous spot doing some some unglamorous thing is where those ideas are really powerful that's where they actually live i mean when you have to do something that really sucks over and over again you can easily see a way to solve it and so i think i think if i'm talking to entrepreneurs that's one of the main things i would say is go be uncomfortable go get in a situation that people hate because that's where the really good ideas are that are going to disrupt things and even if it's not you know i started a, a big company because of this problem it might be just that look all i did is went to my boss and said there's an app that solves this and i will run it for you and i'm now a salaried employee that hardly does anything and my life's awesome or whatever but the fact is being in that uncomfortable spot i think breeds these ideas and breeds what needs to be built next anyway so having said that yeah i that's that's what happened to me i mean we built it for our own company then we had it hired and like i kind of already said we built it thinking this could be something that we sell to other people so at that point when we actually did have people offering us money and our our customers asking us for it we came up with a separate company and had the uh the idea to do what we did for that company and lots of other companies and quite frankly had no clue what we were doing and no clue what to price it at no clue how long it would take to do everything just blindly went into it saying there's problems to solve and money to be made let's just figure it out can you jump into those details i mean how much did it cost and you're talking about how long did it take were you still working at your old job while you're working with the developer yeah i worked i worked at my old job really through 2012 or 13 probably so i i kind of had to split time 
And and the way that I did it is the way that I justified it is I would build something into the new app on Moxie that would eliminate the time that I used to have to spend. And then I would devote that time to building all Moxie. So for example, I used to spend two hours a day walking around with a clipboard in the in the wood storage area, taking inventory of all the wood we had. And then I'd come in and look at all the orders we had. And I would tally out and figure out how much we had versus how much we need. And then I would make a place orders for all those with our vendors. So I built as one of the tools in Almoxie as one of the first tools, the system that would track and automatically allocate and give me that list and even just order it for me. So just by building that, now I have a couple hours a day extra to work on Almoxie and it just snowballed. Every time a problem would walk in the door, we would see if we could solve it with software and just more and more time spent going to it. So yeah, I, I built the two, I worked the two jobs at the same time. So was there no other inventory software that you're talking about that could do this? So back then, yes, there were inventory softwares. There were there were some of the more like I mean obviously there were accounting softwares. There were inventory software. There were like lots of fragmented types of software. But and and this is critical to kind of understand why this company works. So for our example, like the the inventory to figure out how much wood we need for these doors, every door is a different size, a different wood, you know, all kinds of customization in cabinetry, right? So to understand that, we kind of need to have the order and all all of its details sitting in front of us. So you can't really just say, oh, I have 20 doors. The inventory for that is X amount because I know how much is in 20 doors. Well, how big are the doors, you know, and how much waste is in that type of wood? So none of the inventory systems of the day could handle anything like that because they're just looking for simple inputs. I mean, we're not selling a small, medium, large t-shirt. You know, we're selling these incredibly complex, customizable products that vary all the time. Where are you all at in revenues today? Um, I'm not allowed to give that. Can we say over like a million? Yeah. How's it run today versus what it was doing before? I mean, what's your day-to-day like now? So my day-to-day, we actually have this year gone to almost completely remote. All of us work wherever we want. So I have a lot of flexibility as to where I work. Just got back from Vegas with my wife where I worked while she was getting ready, you know. <laughs> Did you get married there? <laughs> no, we just went for fun. But uh, my my day-to-day now pretty much is checking the Slack channels. We use Slack for internal communication and we use Intercom for communication with our customers. So I'm kind of just monitoring that and making sure that everything is, is running. And I do the things that kind of nobody can do yet. I, I, I build the business so like Right now, I'm putting together our KPIs and figuring out what are the things we should be measuring and building a dashboard around that, for example. How do you come up with the name all of Moxie? Good question. That uh, Moxie, have you ever heard the, the term Moxie? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that showbiz name from the golden age of film. Like if you got Moxie, you got balls or whatever. You, you got the X factor. So we, we kind of liked that idea because we knew that early on, especially, people would look at this and be like, oh, that's what I'm looking for. Like they would get it or else they would just look at it and shake their head. And so I liked the idea of Moxie and then taking the IE off the end and adding a Y because it looked better in a logo and then adding the what, the all because we could get the domain name for it. So all Moxie. And uh, I, th- I think this is your number one question and answer, it looks like on the site. So can you tell us how much you charge? Yeah. Um. So we're actually in the merchant processing business primarily. We charge 65 bucks a month and that's kind of 
of just covers our our hosting and whatnot and you know basic customer support our real money is made in merchant processing so we partner with stripe and so the transactions that happen inside of our instances between our customers and their customers um, we get a kickback from stripe so we're making x percent of every transaction that happens there did you eventually go to that business model did you try different models can you tell us about this a little bit more oh we tried every model <laughs> i've tried everything we i think we started off at like $300 a month flat fee. We went for the longest time, we we did 1% of gross sales through the system. And we actually signed quite a few people up like that. We actually still have a couple of people that prefer that model that we've went ahead and allowed to, to continue like that. And I could talk for hours on why and how we came to this. But basically, it comes down to we, we've offered it for free. But it, it comes down to this, you know, people want to feel like they're paying off something free was actually bad for us because it gave people the perception that there wasn't anything here for them it couldn't if it's free it can't be good you know so we had to give give them a number that is something but yet something they don't have to go to their accounting department and ask permission for you know so it's it can be somewhat spontaneous sign up and then it's low enough to where it's a no-brainer and the merchant processing thing by getting money on the back end we feel like we get points we hear a lot of, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Thank you so much for thinking of that because now I don't have to pay you. You just get your money from the evil bank, you know? So it's kind of that mentality of we figured out how to get our money elsewhere so we don't have to charge our customers. Did you see a significant increase in revenue by doing it this way versus before? We actually saw a significant, yes, yes, to answer your question, we make a lot more money and we, we even make more money now that we went away from free. Once we went to $65 a month instead of free, nothing else changed, we actually started having a lot more sign up. <laughs> I was not expecting 65 bucks a month. I mean, I thought it'd be at least a couple hundred, whatever, maybe a couple thousand per month and not doing the percentage on whatever they purchase. Can you just get, was it 2x what you're doing before? I, I just want to hear the different pricing things. So if someone else was thinking about doing something, maybe they could use your type of pricing model. That's a good question. And I don't have concrete data for it, Right. but shooting from the hip, I would say that when we went from, well, first of all, when we went from 1% of gross sales, which probably no one is interested in because that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, when we went from that to free, we probably saw 5x. And then when we went from free to 65, we probably doubled that. What percentage were you charged when free model versus well, quote unquote free? You're, you're just not paying per month. You're They're paying on the transaction of everything that they purchased through your software? Yeah. So they don't actually send us a check. So right. Stripe, Stripe is the one that pays us. Right. And so what percent? It's actually different for every customer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all back-end stuff depending on the deal and the, the customer we have. Yeah. So okay. it's it's all Stripe Stripe stuff. I, I mean, can you give us a range? So like if someone want to do this, maybe, I, mean, I don't know if y'all went to Stripe and talked to them about it. I think it's very unique. I think it's pretty smart. Yeah. So with Stripe, we try to keep our rates, even with whatever we have on top, we try to keep that rate below or, you know, in the range of what a normal credit card company is going to charge. But we get anywhere from like a half percent to a percent. And again, depending on a few factors, but we we want to make sure that at the end of the day, our customer isn't feeling like they're getting ripped off or, or paying extra. You know, it's still within the range of what they would normally be paying. So, I mean, have y'all ever thought about going to different industries? Can different industries use this actual product to deal with that? Yeah. And actually, when I started All Moxie, it was with the intention to take it to any type of industry that it would apply to. And the funny thing 
thing is that as more time has gone on, the more focused I am and trying to keep it in one industry. It does work for multiple industries. I mean, I've set up restaurants and we do have customers that are doing a few different other things with it. But what I like about what we're doing is that I can keep things very pure and very niche. And if I do that, then I can I can charge a premium for it. So if I know the lingo in my industry and I can talk to a customer face to face and and understand all the all the the lingo, you know, all the the nuances of that industry, it's a pretty easy sell versus going into somewhere else where I don't and having to kind of learn and change and add more and more and more buttons to my app, which ends up just confusing everybody. What do you see for the future? Well, we just launched a 3D designer this summer. So now our customers are able to give to their customers a 3D cabinet design, completely web-based, really intuitive on the web. So you'll be seeing quite a bit more of that, I hope, when you go to build your house or get your kitchen done. Hopefully you'll start seeing all Moxie instances running the show. So we're excited about that. And that will drive more of our marketplace. So what I see happening from now till then is kind of unifying the industry with this design software and then connecting through our backend marketplace, all these vendors, suppliers, manufacturers to each other to make the flow of data and information just just flawless and easy and sending all this data just right to their machines so that they can just focus on building stuff. And actually, people can go to your site and do play with a demo site and look at it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of you kind of have to be a cabinet guy to really appreciate it. But I mean, maybe not. Maybe I don't think so, because I'm looking at it. It makes sense. Everything that's going on here. OK, so, yeah, OK, no, cool. I get, I get it. What are actually because I don't remember any hard obstacles that you really come over. I mean, other than the father dealing with that in the beginning been the other hardest parts. I, I think uh, my mind immediately goes to the the low part of the recession, which what would have that been 2008 or so, probably end of 2008. I mean, I remember sitting there after because at this point, we're still hand in hand with the cabinet company. Really, all the funds that are being used are from that company. So if that company suffers, all Moxie suffers. And I mean, at that point, we were we were down to a part time developer and myself and just trying to survive, just trying to keep this idea moving forward. And I remember, you know, having the the shop had just fired one of its main employees because it couldn't it couldn't keep the payroll. And all Moxie was just literally on the shopping block there. It was just it was just one of those things where we want to keep this going, but we just can't. And I remember tears being shed. I mean, I remember family arguments. I remember really hard conversations and, you know, personal things being thrown around. And it was a very, very difficult time. And uh, I, I mean, I, I get I get PTSD just thinking about it. But, you know, we were able to we were able to kind of just hang on by a thread and make compromises. We were all able to tell each other we're sorry, you know, swallow our pride. And we, we got through it. So but that that was probably the low point. That was probably one of the biggest challenges is getting buy in on a software company, quote unquote, from a cabinet company, quote unquote, through a recession when the, the cabinet company is suffering big time. And what did you learn from it? You know, I think I think the biggest takeaway was probably just persistence and grit. I mean, you just you just can't get 
give up. There were so many times when I probably just should have. I mean, it would have made all the sense in the world to just take a break or, you know, justify it as, look, timing's not right or whatever and shut it down temporarily. But I think if, I think if you just, just have that determination and grit and just let that be almost like a real baby, like you just cannot let it die, <laughs> then I think there's... There's an awesome staying power in that, and I, I'm sure glad that that, that happened. I, I can't take credit for it all. I mean, I wish I could say that I never considered it or fully always believed in it, but uh, I think just just persistence is is a big lesson that I that I took away from that recession. And 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 maybe maybe with that, just quickly, I think expectations too, because I mean, it, when you're going through a time like that, you know, you kind of have to drop your expectation of whatever whatever your end goal is. You know, I see myself in this big office with all these employees and this big shiny logo out front, blah, blah, blah. If that's the thing in your mind and that's what's kind of driving you and that's where you want to get someday, you kind of got to lower your expectations in a tough time and just say, look, that's not me right now. Maybe I'm going to have to do this, this and that. And maybe that's not glamorous. Maybe that sucks temporarily. But if you can shift your expectations, I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think I think I had to shift my expectations during that time to kind of make it work and survive. Talking about that, what's the best advice that you have for anyone who's like kind of starting their own company or any any other lessons that you might want to share with them before we get off? I think I've already hit on this, but I, I harp on it quite a bit kind of locally. And it's, I mean, a lot of the chatter I hear in the, the startup community is around this question of what should I start? What is the thing? What is it? I mean, in every conversation you hear about a new app, it comes up, well, what should it be doing? What should be its focus? And I think that a lot of times, and I've made this mistake myself, we start from the wrong end. I think that we need to get in and get dirty and talk to people in, like I said, those unglamorous situations. We need to talk to people at the bottom. We need to spend a day in their shoes. We need to, you know, shovel the shit. We need to walk in the sawdust. And I think as we do that, the ideas will become very clear as to as to the what. And I mean, the how anymore, that's, that's commonplace. I mean, almost anyone can find a developer and build an idea it's the what should i be building and how does it how does it interact and how does it work that's the that's the main the, the thing that i think young entrepreneurs get get wrong so many times and that's why there's so much you know kind of churn and and pivoting we appreciate you coming on and sharing the story if, if people want to say thanks for doing the interview what's the best way to reach you uh they can email me brady at allmoxie.com and i appreciate you having me on it's been fun yeah no, thank you Hey there, Millionaire Interview listener. Thank you again for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it and want to show us a little support, we would really appreciate a five-star review. It helps other listeners find the show so they can enjoy it, just like you. And if you're looking for more episodes that are in the product niche, then try episode 11 with Bottle Breacher founder Eli Crane, or episode 13 with Sammy of BlackSox.com, or try episode 18 with Yak Gear founder Bill Bragman. As always, thanks again for tuning in and have a great day. Bye.